You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. You know, one of the primary uh, reasons or uh, purposes for miracles in the New Testament was to establish credibility for the message and the messenger. And so the, the, the content of what Jesus was teaching and also the credibility of who he was and who he was claiming to be. For instance, when Jesus came to a person and raised a dead person to life, people would say, who is this and what does he have to say? And this was the purposes of the miracles. The, the miracle itself and the sign itself was, was not the purpose. The purpose wasn't to draw people to this amazing supernatural act, but rather to the one who was performing these actions. Signs are like a symbol. They, they point somewhere else. And the end purpose of signs is to draw our attention to Jesus. It's to draw us to him, to listen to what he has to say, and to get to know him in his character, in his nature, and his purposes in our lives. And so what, do, what does this sign in particular have to teach us about the message of Jesus and about the person of Jesus himself? We're going to look at a few things this morning. The first that we learn is that desperation may lead us to Jesus, but he doesn't keep us there. Desperation does drive us at times to Jesus, but he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't keep us there. This man, this father comes to Jesus in a, in a moment of desperation. You can see it. It's obvious. A true state of hopelessness. His son is, is sick, not just, not just sick, but dying. He is dying. He travels a great distance by foot. That's how they did it back then. To search for Jesus, he finds him. Now that in itself is a miracle. You're going to find somebody in, 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 in Phoenix. No GPS, no map, no cell phones, no knowledge of where they are. And you're just hoping to run into this person on the street. And he does. He, he finds Jesus. But maybe, maybe it's a little easier to find him. Jesus has become like a celebrity. He has now performed uh, a couple of these miraculous signs. He has turned, uh, he went to a wedding and, and uh, turned all the water into wine. Uh, he, he made a big uh, stink at the temple, overturned tables. People are starting to talk about Jesus. And so this man finds him. And here's this father, desperate and afraid. You know, we have such wonderful provisions now. If your child is sick, you go to CVS, you get some Motrin, you get some medicine, the fever breaks, and you feel better. We have urgent cares popping up, seems like every weekend all around the city. We have such wonderful provisions, wonderful blessings when we are feeling sick. Here, this, imagine a true state of desperation. Your child becomes ill with a fever. It's not breaking and you know, if, if there is not some kind of miraculous intervention, your child is going to die. His father finds Jesus, hearing the stories that there is this man who is able to do the miraculous. And maybe if he goes to Jesus and asks Jesus for this favor, that Jesus will come, place his hands on his son and heal his son. And so he asks Jesus, would you come? Would you come and, and be with me? Come to our home, touch my son, put your hand on his chest, uh, Say something, uh, do something to help him. And how does Jesus respond? He says, you people, <laughs> you people. This is what he says, you people, you're all the same. All you want are signs. 
You just, you only want to, you only want me to come when you need something from me. This is strange. This is not what we expect to come from the mouth of Jesus when a hurting parent comes to him. We might expect him to say, oh my goodness, hey, guys, um, I got to go for a while. I'm going to go, yeah, of course, I'm going to walk with you. Let's take that journey together. Everything's going to be okay. But literally what he says is he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And the you here in English, we don't, we don't see what's really going on here. It's plural. Both times he says it's plural. He's not just talking to this man. He's saying, this is what you people are like. This was the first you people, right? He says, you people are all the same. You, you just want me to do something for you. You, just, you only believe when I, when I do something spectacular. You don't trust me. Jesus is looking straight at this guy. He lumps him in with a whole category of people who come to Jesus only when circumstances are hard. This is a rebuke. It's a rebuke to this man. Imagine you go to the emergency room with your young child and the doctor says, you people only come when you need something. <laughs> you never write, you know, <clears throat> you never come just to say hello. You're, you're only here when life is hard. It's like, yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why you exist, to help me feel better. And people are treating Jesus like that. Treating him like a, like a vending machine where they put a little effort in and they punch a button and out comes blessing. And Jesus says, that's why you come to me. And this means for Jesus to rebuke him in this way, he's saying, this means that Jesus is offering something far greater than just an ease of life and for comfort in your life. But we often come to him when life is hard, wanting him to fix our circumstances. And Jesus says, that's the least of your problems. I've come to bring life, to, bring, to give salvation, to rescue you from a greater disease, a greater sickness, a sickness that, that you can't heal, that no one can heal, only I can. You know, sometimes we come to Jesus with perfectly appropriate requests and concerns, and sometimes, even oftentimes, Jesus responds to us in ways that we do not, we do not expect. We've seen this throughout the book of John. We see it continually. When someone is hurting, Jesus appears to be harsh. He never gives the response that we expect he will give. Why? You know, it's not that Jesus is just trying to keep everybody on their toes and throw them off and always do the opposite of what they think. But he does this, I think, for a couple reasons. One, he, he knows, he always knows that we need far more than we actually come to him for. And he knows the best way to train us how to think about how we are to relate to him. Here's this man coming to Jesus, asking him to heal his son. And Jesus wants for this man so much more so much more. He wants to move this man from a place of, of just rational belief in Jesus' power and ability to do all things to a personal trust in Jesus. A personal trust, not just in his power and his miracles and his abilities to do all things, but a personal trust that his life can be in Jesus' hands and he doesn't have to be afraid. He wants this man not just to only believe about Jesus, but to believe in Jesus. It's the difference between a superficial faith and a genuine faith. Here's a question for us. Do you trust in Jesus only to the degree that he acts according to your desires? Or do you trust him even when things do not go as planned? When you go to the vending machine of God <clears throat> and something is hurting and something is bothering you and you ask a prayer and God doesn't fix it right away. 
Are you moved to a place of genuine trust and faith in him? Or do you begin to start to doubt maybe his care for you? Jesus takes this man from a place of just intellectual belief in his reputation, because that's what this man has at this point. Just that he just heard the stories, the reputation of Jesus, that Jesus is, is the one who can do the miraculous. And he moves him to a place of genuine trust. And this is where he wants to take you and I. From a place of just believing about Jesus to believing in him with our whole lives. I used this analogy before. It's been years though, so I use it again. I think it's fitting here. But there have been so many people throughout the years that have, you know, constructed a tightrope across like Niagara Falls or across uh, the Grand Canyon, right? And, and, and have drawn crowds. And there was one particular man in the early 1900s, and he would draw crowds of 10, 20, 25, 30,000 people as he would tightrope across the Niagara Falls. It was an incredible spectacle. He, he was, uh, he, he just, people came from all over to watch him. And he did this particular stunt that, that is really memorable. He, he asked the crowd, once he had this reputation of being great at walking across and not failing, right? That's the whole goal, don't fall. <clears throat> he says, who thinks I can walk across this tightrope with a wheelbarrow? And they're like, yeah, you can do anything. You're the best there is. We've never seen anyone like you. And he walks across with a wheelbarrow and comes back and everybody applauds like, we knew you could do it. Who thinks I can take this wheelbarrow, fill it with 200 pounds of bricks and go across the tightrope? They're like, you can do it. Nothing's impossible for you. You can totally do it. And he does it, comes back and everybody applauds like, we knew you could do it. Who thinks I can walk across this tightrope with a wheelbarrow with a person inside of it? Yeah, of course, that'd be awesome, do it. He, he says, any volunteers? <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, we just, so you see, there's a difference here <clears throat> between believing in Jesus, believing about Jesus. How many a times we say, nothing's impossible for you. Okay, trust me with everything in your life. Well, I, that's a little bit much. You see what Jesus is wanting to do? He's wanting to move us and to move this man from just believing, hey, you can, you can heal my son if you want to. Okay, now go about your way, still believing in my promise that your son will live. How hard would that be? How hard would that be? The point is we can think that Jesus is trustworthy until he asks us to trust in him with our lives. Not many of us will deny that, that Jesus is trustworthy. But many of us will really struggle in the day to day when things don't work out the way that we had hoped or planned to really trust that he loves us, cares for us, has our best interests in mind, that he will not forsake us or leave us, that his word is faithful, that he is true. There's no better place to be than in his care. This sign shows us that Jesus wants more than people just coming to him with their problems. He wants us to trust in him. And so for many who would come to Jesus, they would believe only in their minds. They would believe only in his reputation. They wouldn't believe in their hearts. They wouldn't believe with a genuine faith. They would believe in his testimony, his signs and miracles. I promise I'll get through the sermon before my voice fails. I feel it going. <laughs> so forgive me but they would trust ultimately in something else. They would believe in Jesus' testimony, but they would believe ultimately in something else, right? They would believe in 
financial security. They would believe ultimately in money for security. They would believe in reputation for ultimate honor. They would believe in their accomplishments for ultimate acceptance. They would believe ultimately in political power or social influence. So they believe about Jesus, but then they really trust in something else. This is how many believe in him today. Even many who claim to be Christians, they believe, but they don't trust. And there is a difference. Jesus desires to move us beyond this this grieving man, beyond just an intellectual belief in Jesus' power, to a life-giving personal trust in him. And that's the main idea of this sign. Will you believe me? Will you trust me with the unbelievable? The believing Jesus, he can do anything. Just believing that Jesus can do anything is not saving faith. But personally trusting in Jesus with our very lives, that's saving faith. That's genuine faith. And it's tested throughout the day, a hundred times a day, where Jesus is constantly inviting us to, to get in the wheelbarrow, to get in there. Do you trust me? Well, then get in and, and, and let me lead you in your life. There are a couple other things to see in this passage that I think are so important. They really have a lot to do with what we've already said, but we see this story continues. The next thing teaches us not just about his nature, but how we relate to Jesus and how we grow in our faith with him. And that can show us that faith can grow in times of desperation. You see, we, we come to Jesus in desperation. He doesn't desire us to stay there, but in fact, we can actually grow in our faith in times of desperation, in the waiting. Until, until Jesus does what he says he is going to do, those can be seasons of great growth instead of seasons of hopelessness. Nothing is happening as planned here for this father. If I just get face to face with Jesus and find him, needle in the haystack in the city nearby and ask him to come, that's my only hope and maybe he'll come. He says, will you come to our house and heal my son? And he basically says, no. <clears throat> says, can you help? You know, imagine the emergence, uh, immediate relief that there would have been for this grieving father. If he says, I found you finally. My son is sick. He's dying. Will you come? And Jesus says, yes. <sighs> Thank you. Everything's going to be okay. Imagine that um, Jesus had the power to just make this man immediately feel better. And he doesn't. He does the opposite. He says, I'm going to make you take a very long, lonely journey home alone, wondering if I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Imagine that walk, how miserable. See, Jesus is often unpredictable, but that does not mean he's untrustworthy. He's not going to act the way that you want him to act. He, he actually, he lives he, and leads us and performs things in our lives according to his terms, not ours. And that's frustrating. It's devastating. It can, be, it can lead us to hopelessness and devastation. Continually reminding us throughout our life that, that he is the one in control of our lives and it's his plans and his purposes that are actually good and better. And he, he operates on his terms. He's essentially telling this man, you're going to take an incredibly long, long walk home, but it will be good for you. And you're just going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust in what I say. It probably took him an entire day to travel back. Entire day, 24 hours. 
Long time. We know this because, you know, his servants come running to him and, and they had been traveling for a day to get to him, right? <clears throat> Let's talk about that scene for a moment. You've been traveling an entire day back to your house. You're trusting in the word of Jesus. You're rehearsing to yourself the whole time. I hope this is true. I hope my son's gonna be okay. I can't get to him quickly. It's taking an entire day, really hoping that your son is better and that what Jesus said actually is coming true. And from a distance, you see your servants who are supposed to be caring for your dying son running towards you. What are you thinking? It's not good news. That's what I would think. It's not good news. Um, my parents tell a story of when my, my older brother was about seven years old, got in a bicycle accident, had a lot of internal bleeding. He had minutes to live. He was rushed to the hospital. And en route to the hospital, as they were driving behind the ambulance, the ambulance lights and sirens turn off. Oh, good, he got better. That's not what they're thinking. Why do you do that? He, he pulled through. He's good. But that was a scary moment for them. They're thinking the worst. They're thinking the absolute worst. And what is his father thinking as he is grieving and walking an entire day? And he says, well, I know people are taking care of him. I know my servants are there. They're by his bedside. He's not going to be alone. And now he's alone. And, and he's thinking maybe it's over. Um, Jesus is not making this easy. That's, what, that's the point here. Jesus is not making this easy. And he could have, but he doesn't. He actually does the opposite. He makes it difficult. Um, Jesus could have made it easy. He doesn't. He says, you... He could have said, yes, I will go with you and we'll walk together and I'll never leave your side and I'll remind you of who I am and that your son will be fine. And every time throughout the 24 hours, if you ask me, are you sure he's going to be okay? I'm going to remind you that he's going to be okay. Uh, he doesn't do anything. And, and, and then when I get there at once, I will heal him and we'll have dinner together and everything will be fine. He could have done all of that. He doesn't do any of it. He does the opposite. Why not? He's after something greater than just uh, our comfort. He's after something far greater. He knows that true life-saving faith must grow out of desperation. He's wanting for us to truly trust him and to truly believe. And he will at times lead us through a valley of darkness so that we will see that even there he is faithful. Even there he is trustworthy. We often want to curse God in those moments. We want to curse him when we feel alone, when life doesn't go our way. But these are the times where he does his best work. He does his best work when we are in those desperate moments. Imagine again the journey back home. You know, there's a clue here in the story as to how the father filled his time. Probably filling his time on his journey home, rehearsing the words that Jesus spoke to him. Your son will live, your son will live, your son will live, your son will live. Because this minute the, the servants come to him and says, it happened about seventh hour, 1 p.m., right? Midday. And he says, I know exactly what I was doing at that time and who I was listening to. Jesus said at, at that very time, he said, your son will live. I know it because it was just imprinted and tattooed on his mind. He probably spent that entire journey home with everything he had, just rehearsing the word of Christ. Your son will live. Your son will live. I just have to focus on that. I have to focus on what Jesus has said. And I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust in his word. And throughout that devastation and that journey, his faith was strengthened. Strengthened. He knew Jesus' words. He knew the very hour that it was spoken. 
and his faith grew. And, and his faith was not in these magic words, your son will live, but it was in the one who spoke those words. I'm gonna trust in Jesus. I'm gonna trust in what he said. I'm gonna trust him because that's all I've got. And in his desperation, he, he was l- learning how to trust in Jesus. He's speaking life to us still. He's speaking words to us still. And we have so much more than this father had. We have the full word of God. We have, we have so much more. Not just one sentence. We have the whole counsel of God spoken to us. And he says, not a single word will fall. Every single word I've spoken will come true. Every single word. Do you rehearse those words? Do you speak them to yourself? Do you preach them to your heart throughout the day? When you're in times of desperation and pain and when things don't work out the way you had hoped, do you, do you go do desperate places and do you feel hopeless and you say, God, why aren't you doing something? Or do you rehearse the words that he has already spoken to you? He still speaks to us today. Let's go to this final point. Let's consider this, that Jesus can speak life to desperation from a distance to those who are distant. Now, what do I mean by this? There's more than one way of being distant from Jesus. The family is distant from Jesus in a few ways. Most obviously geographically, right? He's about 20 miles away. Um, Ethnically, we know that this is a Gentile family. We know that Jesus was, came to the nation of Israel. Uh, it was to the nation of Israel that, who uh, belonged the oracles of God and the promises of God. They were the chosen ethnic people of God who were waiting for a savior. And John tells us that Jesus came to his own, but his own reject him, rejected him. So we know that they are ethnically distant. They were, uh, uh, they were outside of the blessings of God. We know that they were also spiritually distant from God. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't trust in him. Therefore, they were cut off from the spiritual blessings of the covenant promises of God. So these people are distant from him in so many different ways. And it's true to say in some sense, this boy was distant from God in many ways. And Jesus shows us that there is no distance too great. <clears throat> whether you are far from me geographically or whether your heart is far from me as a result of your sins, whether you are distant from me as a result of external circumstances that you have no control over, there is no distance too great for the grace of God. Distance is of no concern when it comes to the power and grace of Jesus. And reveals something so wonderful about the power of Jesus that he can heal and bring about his purposes with a single word from a distance to those who are at a distance. Distance in heart, distant in geographical situations with a word. Reminds us of creation that God brought to be all that there is by the word of his power. And now he is bringing life to this son with a word. Go, your son will live. And at that moment, he is healed. Teaches us this, that salvation is not reserved for those who have somehow made their way to be close to Jesus. Salvation is not for those who have bridged the gap 
between themselves and God through their good works. Through those who have made the journey, the hard trekked journey. We see that God can heal from a distance. The gospel was something that you and I earned by making our way to reaching our way to God, then salvation would be for those who had the morality, the, the, the strength, the character, the intelligence to do so. And the Bible tells us that no one has that. Everyone is distant from God. There is no one who has made their way to God. Jesus didn't say to the father, you know, if your son really wants to be healed, why doesn't he come and ask for it himself? Would have been totally reasonable. Couldn't fault him at that. It's like, yeah, he's got a good point. What does this have to do with the father? I mean, the son's the one who's sick. I want to finish where I started. Remembering a sign. Remembering what a sign is and a miracle is. Why it's used. It's not the end in itself. It's not the end goal. The end goal is not to become enamored with the wonderful things that Jesus does. The goal is to become enamored with Christ who does these things. Um, a sign points to a greater reality. Right? The sign embodies reality that relationship with God and all his blessings don't come through our effort. It doesn't come through our earning. Uh, it's not even through, you get this, it's not even through prayers being answered the way that we hope that they would be. Um, but a real relationship comes through believing in the power and the love of Jesus believing in his word, believing in his gospel story, believing in who he is, what he has done. Imagine the father, when he gets home, he looks into that room where his son was dying and he sees his son sitting on the bed, playing, eating, jumps up, maybe embraces his father. Maybe the father comes and embraces his son and they, 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 he, he weeps with joy. And, and then he gets his whole family and he says, from this day forward, we're gonna believe in Jesus. From this day forward, see, this man has changed. He has gone through this devastating journey of desperation, a journey of pain and sorrow. And God put him on a journey, a full day's length journey of just not knowing what will happen, but he's been rehearsing this truth. And then he saw it happen and he saw that Jesus was faithful. And he says, that's it. Our whole family for the rest of our lives. We're going to trust in Jesus. We're going to trust in him. You and I have, have <clears throat> greater evidence of God's love. Imagine that, how that father must have felt in that moment. He says, Jesus must really, really love us. Jesus must love us, but when we have more, we have more evidence of, of Jesus' love for us than this father had. And he believed and he trusted. What greater expression of love do we have than Christ giving his life for us on the cross? There's no greater expression of love than to give your life for another. And if this man could be filled with the love an assurance of the love of Christ because what Jesus said he would do, he did. How much more can we be assured of his love for us to see him go to the cross and die for us? The great beauty of the cross tells us this, that for God so loved the world that, whoever, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that interesting that God showed his love for us 
by offering his son up to die so that this father would gain back his own son. It's a transfer. It's a substitute. You will live, but I will give my son to die for you. And that's the only way that it can happen. It must be this exchange. God must give his son's life for us so that we can gain back ours. Now, here's the interesting thing. This son would eventually die. 100% chance. I don't know what kind of life he lived. We don't know. But I imagine... He left behind a grieving family, grieving loved ones, grieving, maybe his father buried him eventually one day. Maybe he buried his father. But he had something that was incorruptible. Even though he would eventually die, the point, the, the, the main blessing is not that he gained back his life, but that he gained eternal life. The, the main blessing is that even though he would eventually die, that he had the life of Christ in him that could never be taken away. And that's the greater blessing. The whole family is accepted into the love of God because Jesus was rejected. The whole family is given new life because Jesus gave up his life on the cross. Desperation leads us to Jesus, but it never leaves us there. He wants us to trust in him. Faith can grow in times of desperation. In fact, that's how God uses our desperation so that it would draw us to him. That we can rely on God's power and rehearse the truth of his word to us. And Jesus speaks from a distance. He speaks to our hearts now through his word. And he invites us to trust in him. And he tells us that no one is too far off, whether distant in heart or in place or location, whether we don't feel a sense of his closeness. We are never too far off. No matter what you've done or how, how far off you feel, distance of any kind is never a factor in the grace of God. Trust in him. Trust in him. Give your life to him. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.